Have you ever had a day where everything seemed to be going your way? Everything was just as it was supposed to be. I remember back in elementary school, I was sitting in the house watching TV, and all of a sudden I look over my shoulder, and guess what I see? This wallet that has money in it. It's not my wallet. I don't know who the wallet is, but there's a wallet with money in it, and all of a sudden, this doesn't typically happen in the neighborhood I grew up in, but I hear the ice cream man coming around. What divine providence. The ice cream man, which comes maybe once a year in my neighborhood, and then a money filled with, a wallet filled with money. And so I grabbed that wallet, and I went, and I went to the ice cream man, and not only did it have enough money for me, it had enough money for me and my friends, and we all enjoyed lots of ice cream that day. What do you know it if that wasn't not, it wasn't my wallet. It was my brother's wallet, my oldest brother's wallet, his hard-earned money that he made, and my parents told me I wasn't allowed to take that wallet, and so that next week, or maybe the next couple of weeks, I had to help my brother. One of his job was to, uh, to set up chairs at, 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 the, at our church. Uh, we, we went to the Bamel Road Church of Christ down in Houston, and it was a big congregation, but they met in the gym, and, and so he, had, he set up a chairs for like 800 people or something every, every Saturday, and so I had to go and help work off the money that I took. Now, while I did my brother wrong, there's times when he hasn't been so kind to me. One time I was in his room, I'm sure just blessing him with my presence, he tells me to get out, and I guess I didn't get out because I wanted to be around my brother, because I love my brother, and then he threw a pencil, stuck in my eye, and I went to the emergency room. <laughs> my brother gave us other good times, though. In fifth grade or fourth grade, he used to take every Monday, he would take me and my sister to Astroworld down in Houston. We had, we had season uh, passes and, and he would pack us a lunch and we would go to Astroworld all day from the, day, from the time it, w it opened up till the time it closed. He would take us back to the car and we ate a packed lunch and, and every Monday we got to spend at Astroworld together. And there were other times in, in, in life where my brother, had, when he moved to Hawaii, he uh, allowed me and my family to come and spend two weeks in Hawaii with him. And he gave us his car while we were in Hawaii to drive all around the island. And that was a pretty neat uh, uh, thing that happened. And I've also been kind to my brother. There's been two times in, in the Air Force. He's been uh, changing jobs in the Air Force, and, and they were moving, and he stayed with me, and we, uh, we got to live together for two times, two six-month stints together. And even the, probably one of the, the, the biggest leaps of faith, I guess he did, when we moved to Kilgore, we were about to buy our house uh, down over, over, uh, over in Kilgore, and we sold our house in Wiley where we moved, but they weren't going to get the money that we had for the sale of our house, and, and we, were, we, we weren't going to get that money for another week, and we needed to have money for a down payment for our house, and we didn't know where we were going to get it. My brother found out about it. He says, well, let me loan you the money until you get that money in. What a nice thing for a brother. Brotherly love. I've experienced lots of great times with my brother, and I've experienced true brotherly love with him. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This week we're going to talk about the church in Philadelphia. And the church in Philadelphia is not the Philadelphia that we might think of in America. It's Philadelphia which is in present day Turkey. And it was known as the city of brotherly love. Most of us have probably heard that. But you might not know why it was called the city of brotherly love. And if you uh, look at the history of why it was called, it has a rich history of two brothers and their love and honor for each other. There was, there was one brother, his name was Eumenes, and he was the king of Pergamum. We talked about Pergamum uh, a few weeks back. And Pergamum wasn't just a city, but it was an empire. And he was the king of Pergamum. You see his, his uh, little bust right there. That, that's Eumenes II, king of Pergamum. And he had a brother who was Attalus II, Attalus Philadelphus. He had the nickname Philadelphus meant one who loves his brother. And Attalus was Eumenes' right-hand man. He was his top general. Matter of fact, he was the diplomat to Rome because Rome didn't know if they wanted to be friends with, with the, the Pergamum Empire or enemies. And, and Attalus went and he made sure that they were going to stay on good terms with Rome and still keep their freedom from Rome. And Rome really liked Attalus and they said, well, we want you to be the king. But Attalus wasn't going to throw his brother under the bus, right? Attalus wanted to make sure that his brother stayed king. Matter of fact, when his brother died of, of old age, Attalus goes and he takes in his wife and his kid and he raises them, or raises his kid, to one day allow his kid to take the throne. It was a city that was named after this brotherly love. This is Philadelphia. And this plays a big part in what happens when Jesus writes this letter to the church in Philadelphia. You see, the church in Philadelphia and the city of Philadelphia went through some tough times. In 17 AD, they had this massive earthquake and the whole city was leveled. But Rome came in, and Rome at this time was now over Philadelphia, and Rome rebuilds the city. And when they rebuild the city, they tell them they should change the name to Neo-Caesarea, meaning the new city of the Caesars. So no longer was it the city of brotherly love, it was now Neo-Caesarea. And that didn't just happen once, there was another earthquake that happened in about uh, 60 A.D., and Rome comes in again, and they rebuild the city. And they say, now it doesn't need to be named after the new city of the Caesar, Neo-Caesarea, but now the city needs to be named Flavia. And Flavia is named after the Flavian Empire. If you don't know what the Flavian Empire is, that's fine. I didn't know until this summer what the Flavian Empire was. But there's uh, three Caesars that were part of the Flavian Empire. Vespian, Titus, and Domitian. And these weren't just three uh, Caesars, but these were three pretty tough guys. 
We talked about Domitian last week as Domitian built his temple in Ephesus and the people didn't like it so much that they built this uh, statue across from it. it was called the Ugly Statue, if you remember that. These were bloodthirsty emperors in the Flavian Empire. They considered themselves gods. Anyone that didn't bow down to them, they would kill or persecute destroy but they came in and and they they rebuilt it and they wanted this town to be called the flavian empire but the people didn't like that during the time of the flavian empire there were there was a lot of things going wrong in rome there was civil war in rome there was also a shortage of their greatest natural resource and the greatest natural resource of the time was grain and so grain not only was, was in, in, in high demand, but in short supply, it was rising in price. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation even talks about as grain is raising in price and what it looked like. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 6, it says, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, meaning it took work the whole day just to get your meal and grain. Can you imagine what that would be like for your greatest natural resource to just start skyrocketing in price? Anybody? Can you imagine what it would be like if the government came in and said, because this is in such high demand or we want to ch make changes, that we're going to shut down your grain fields. Or actually, they didn't have grain fields in, in Philadelphia. They had vineyards. They didn't grow grain. But they closed down 75% of their vineyards and made them grow grain, even though grain didn't really grow well in Philadelphia. Can you imagine if the government just said, you got, we're going to shut down your greatest natural resource of your time? Well, that's what happened to them. This place that was once a city of brotherly love is now trying to be named after this empire that is letting them down that's hurting them, that's killing their economy. This is what happens in the letter to the Philippian, or the, the Philadelphian church. Or the church of Philadelphia. Church of Philadelphia starts off in Revelation chapter 3, verse, four, verse 7. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write... These are the words of him who, hold, who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. Jesus starts this letter to the church in Philadelphia, letting them know that he is holy and he is true. What he's saying here is, I am pure. And I am the genuine king. Whenever he goes back, he holds the key to David, right? He holds the key, the key to the temple. The true king of, of Israel. The true king of this world. That He wants them to realize that Jesus is genuine. Those people that are in power, the people in the government that have let him down, that have slammed the door in their face, that's not him. He's the true king. 
And he wants them to know that he is seeing their deeds. And he's not going to close the door on them. He's not going to shut the door in their face. In John chapter 10, verse 9, it says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Jesus is the one that has the open door. That's what he's telling the church in Philadelphia. And he's also a reminder of Jesus is the gate. He opens up the gate. He opens up the gate for anyone that goes through him. Anyone that decides to go through Jesus Christ, that gives their life to him, that puts their faith in him, that is baptized into him, is also raised into his life, his eternal life. Jesus wants this church to realize that he's the true, genuine king. And that when you go through him, he's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to slam the door on you. He's going to open the gate for you. And you'll find life, not just life, but abundant life. Abundant life on this earth and eternal life with him forever. Jesus wants them to know that he is the open door. He is the gate. Then it says in verse 9, I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. One of the things for the Philadelphian Christians is not only were they abandoned by their government, had the door slammed in their face for the, by, by their government by, by taking away their, their, their great resources. The synagogue, the Jewish people, their brothers and sisters have now shut the door in their face. What happened back, back in, in the early days of Christianity, most Christians were Jewish people. Matter of fact, when they became, when they became Christians, it didn't mean they left this, uh, this, uh, this life of Judaism behind, they practiced it. You, you read how they would meet in the synagogues. And they were just a different sect of Jews, I, I guess, at the, at the time. They, they were the Jews that knew the full story. They understood that all throughout Scripture it was pointing to a Messiah, and that Messiah was Jesus Christ. And they know the full revelation of who the Messiah was, that He came to them. And at the beginning... They were somewhat tolerated in different places, but now, in the case of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the brothers have now shut them out of the synagogue and they said, you're no longer allowed to be part of this place. And it wasn't that they just shut them out from their family and, and shut them out from this brotherly love, but once they were kicked out of the synagogue, they lost the privileges that the Jewish people had. And the Jewish people didn't have to bow down to the Caesar. They were allowed to have their own God. They were allowed to worship the one true God. But the Christians didn't have that same privilege. And so when the doors of the synagogue shut, that now put them in a lot of danger. That if they didn't bow down to Caesar, they'd be persecuted, they'd be killed. 
And what Jesus is telling them is, He's seen their deeds. He knows that they're following the one true thing. And, and all throughout Scripture, Jesus has been trying to, to show them over and over and over. Or scripture shows them over and over that there is going to be a Messiah. He's going to come and He's going to suffer for us. He's going to die for us. He's also going to be raised for us. And He'll say, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. After the Jewish people kicked them out, He's saying, I want them to be able to see that I've loved you all along. And they'll bow down before you. And I think what is happening is he's wanting them to think back on Scripture. of When has Scripture showed brothers to not love each other? And when have these brothers had to bow down to another brother? And if you think about this, you might remember the story of Joseph. And his brothers. Joseph had a dream. Joseph dreamed that his brothers were going to bow down to him. God gives him this dream. In Genesis 37 verse 5 says, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, lying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And that might sound pretty, pretty uh, strange for a brother to say, you're going to bow down to me. Well, it sounds maybe conceited unless the God of heaven gave him that dream. The brothers didn't like that. And instead of showing brotherly love, they decided they were going to kill Joseph. And luckily, the oldest brother, Reuben, decided, well... Maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we should make some money off of him. So they throw him in a well. Y'all remember this story? They take him out of the well. He gets sold into slavery in Egypt. He goes and he's a slave. And then he goes, goes into prison. Then famine comes on the land. And God elevates him to second in charge to preserve the people. And his brothers come to gather grain in Egypt. And as they come to Joseph, they bow down before him. And in Genesis 45 verse 4 says, Joseph says, please come closer. So they came closer and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. God was watching over Joseph this entire time. Joseph was going through tough times. Joseph was going through trials but God was preserving him so that he could show brotherly love to his brother and to all those around. Joseph understood that God was with him during these trials. And that, that's pretty tough for us to go through trials of this world. But as we go through hard times, God wants us to understand he is with us. He's going to be with us and one day others will see that. One day others will acknowledge that he's with us. And as, he, as Jesus starts talking about these trials, he says in verse 10 of Revelation 3, Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour that is going to come on the whole earth 
to test the inhabitants of the earth. Jesus acknowledges that the people in Philadelphia are continuing to hold true to God's word. And he says, because you've kept my command I'm gonna, I'm, and have endured patiently, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole earth. And so there's two ways that we can look at this, and this is where, where, uh, where people have different thoughts on what's going to happen with the trials and the great tribulation in this world. Some people uh, look at this and, and they, they read it to where God is going to take all the Christians, all of his people out of the earth where they won't have to face any trials and tribulation. And there's one way that you can read it and, and interpret it that way. And then other people would say that God is going to be with them during the trials and great tribulation on this earth. Matter of fact, it can be interpreted in two ways. One way says, I will keep you from... And the other way it can be interpreted is I will watch over you with the trials. And I think if you looked at what happened to the early church, you'd be hard-pressed to say that they didn't go through trials. They did go through trials. We read in Hebrews where, 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 where people were, were thrown to, to wild animals, were sawed in two. We understand that people went through these incredible trials. All throughout Scripture, we go through tough times. And I think if we just look at it and say, well, God's going to keep us fully out of that, He's going to pluck us away from that, we might start having questions, well, why am I going through tough times? If God says that we're not going to have to deal with these trials, these tribulations... And I don't think our God ever tells us that we're not going to go through tough times. But he does want us to know that he's not going to abandon us as we are going through these trials. Peter, who paid the ultimate cost for his faith, understood what it meant to go through trials, but also understood what awaited him. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation that we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay, and through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. You see, what Peter understood is we've got an inheritance waiting for us. We've got a mission on this earth and we have times of tribulation, we have times of trial, but we have an inheritance that is waiting for us, that's pure and undefiled, and we are going to one day be able to leave the trials behind this earth. And Peter knew it was going to be worth it. It was going to be worth the wait. You see, sometimes it's hard to go through trials. It'd be really hard if we, realized, if we thought that God was abandoned, abandoned us through these trials. But God is with us. He helps us out as we go throughout these tough times. 
I think about what it means to uh, grow stronger in this world. And, and in the past two years, my son, Dane, has gotten stronger than his father, which that's a weird feeling that, that, to have, have, have your son now stronger than you. Well, he plays football and he likes football okay, but what he really likes is working out. And working out gets you stronger, gets you more powerful. But it takes tearing of the muscles, right? That's what, that's what happens when you're working out. Your muscles tear and then they build back stronger. It's hard to do these things all by yourself. But when you're part of a team, that's one of the things that helps Dane out so much is, is they encourage him. They do it together and they get stronger together. You see, the way we go through trials isn't that God just uh, says, you'll be fine. Don't worry, I didn't, I, I didn't abandon you. He gives us the church. That's what the church is about. The church is, is, to, is to join together. The church is to show brotherly love to one another, to help each other as we go throughout the trials of this world. This week we have the youth group and they've gone to Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're at a, they're at a place called the Contact Church of Christ. And this is an inner city church that goes and they, they work with the kids of, of the inner city and they run these full day VBS or, or day camps with these kids. And all of us that did uh, VBS last week, we understand just two hours of VBS is a drain, but it's quite a bit when you're talking about inner city kids all day long. It'd be really hard to do that by yourself, but these kids are going as a group. And maybe they're not this gigantic group, but they are, they are a group that shows love to each other, and they're going to have a blast. I know it because I've taken kids multiple times. And they're going to enjoy it, and they're going to reach these, these uh, children up in Tulsa. They're going to teach them about the gospel. They're going to teach them about the love of Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 says, I know you have little strength that you've kept my word and have not denied my name. What he's saying is the church in Philadelphia, it isn't this great church like we talked about in Ephesus that had all these, uh, all these, all these incredible, well-known members. This is a smaller church. But it's a church that keeps their faith in Christ. A church that shows love to one another. And you don't have to be this incredibly uh, huge megachurch in order to do great things. You just have to have the love for your brothers and sisters. And you can accomplish incredible things through the Lord. In verse 11 it says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. I will write, them, I will write on them the name of my God, the name of, of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. What he's telling these Christians in Philadelphia is he is going to give them a new name. And this name is not going to be Neo Caesarea, the city of the, the, uh, the Caesar. It's not going to be Flavia, the, the city of these Caesars that, 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 are, that, are, that are evil and, and bloodthirsty. 
He's going to give them the name of the true king, the genuine king, the holy king, the king of kings. He is going to make them part of his temple, his beautiful temple. He makes them a pillar in it. When I hear that, I want to be part of that. I want Jesus' name on mine because I know I'm going to go through trials in this world. But I want Jesus Christ to be with me through these trials and I want to experience this inheritance that He has for me. And I also want that for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want us all to be able to go through this world and when we struggle together, let's be together. Let's show love to one another and let's never forget that our Lord will never abandon us. Which is why we sing the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Our Lord wants you to be part of that. He wants you to be part of His temple. He wants to make you a pillar in His temple. He wants to give you that, good, that new name. If you want that new name, you can be baptized into Him. You can put your faith in Him, die to yourself and be raised with Him. Or if you just need to be reminded of our Lord is never going to abandon you through the trials and tribulation. Our Lord has given you uh, uh, to, to be part of His church. So they can show you that brotherly and sisterly love and that you can show that to others. If we can help you in any way, please come while we stand and sing.